Alright, we're there. You were just telling me about smoking during CPR class. <laughs> Not during the class. It was during our breaks at the class. <laughs> <laughs> I just made sure we had breaks. And many of them during training. But I also took some leadership classes that said that if you're in training and you really want them to get what you're saying and you have smokers in the room, you will lose them after 30 minutes. And then people will die from... Well, if I'm teaching CPR, yeah, they're going to get it before the class is over with. Wait, you were the teacher? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I was I was the one setting the brakes. Okay. <laughs> so that's why I said people were mad about it. Some were mad, others weren't. But Was this, was this, re, this how, when was this? The last class I gave would have been in 2011. Okay. That's when we moved up here. Okay. I I didn't do any CPR or first aid for Red Red. I didn't do anything else for Red Cross after we moved back up here. Okay. That was a was part of my as part of my job as a fire chief down down south. Okay. And I just they asked me if I would give the classes, and it wasn't a paying real paying gig. I got a little bit of money for gas, but that was about it. And it wasn't. That's not what I did it for. But you're a mechanic now, and that's yes. that's, that's how we that's how we met. Yes, is that I stumbled upon you <laughs> after leaving my after leaving my camera and my tripod in Jake's truck, <laughs> and I walk up to it and um, open up the door. And like we met like this. Yeah, you were hey, up. <laughs> I put it in the description too. It was funny. I was typing it in. I was like, how did, how exactly? Well, I met him whenever he was upside down in a truck. And so I'm worried that like people are going to be saying, thinking, you know, did, did you was, flip the truck? Did you, did you, no, you were just. No, no. I was working on the, I was working on the brake switch. Yeah. That was the truck that the brake switch kept falling out and you couldn't get it out of gear. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if you're aware of this, but I drove that truck. That was the truck that I drove on Tuesdays and Wednesdays for like three weeks. And basically it was about a 50-50 shot. Does it work now? It works great still now. Not, still working good? We're still working great. Okay. Yeah, so it was about a 50-50 shot <laughs> that, that it would go into gear. And, and so if you can imagine the frustrations that I would have. <laughs> I was thinking it was about a 50-50 shot. What I did to it would keep working. Yeah. So... <laughs> after you fixed it but let me put you in this mindset too because then you had to fix the door handle on it too right uh, yeah multiple and, times yes and so and so that door broke on me so to 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 flick that switch to get it into drive up underneath there i have to open up the door <laughs> <laughs> so i get into the truck this is the first yard of the of the second yard of the day the first yard we actually mowed the wrong yard then the second yard we mow it, and then I get in the get in the truck, and I close the door, slam it, and then I try to put it into drive. It doesn't go into drive, and then I go to open up the door to get down and fix that. The door breaks, so then I have to winch down the w window and then reach out, and then that doesn't work. <laughs> so then I have to tell my other guy to get out of the truck. I get out of the truck. I go around, and then, uh, oh, man. Then I had to get back in it because I couldn't open it up. And then I had to reach down and eat. So, like, <clears throat> I don't know if you're aware, but you you saved you saved so much, saved me from anger. 
I can't say that I've ever had the combination that you had. Of bad luck? No, of those things that were going wrong. Yeah. But I've drove every piece of junk in the world, so I understand. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why I can fix things like that. It's because I've owned it. Yeah. And you're and you're aware of those kind of little details, but you did. So okay, so you didn't start out as a mechanic. Take me back to like where did you even grow up? I grew up in Sherwood Estates, which is about five miles from here. Okay. And just past Penguin Park. Oh, okay. So just behind Penguin Park, right there. Okay. It, it was Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the neighborhood I grew up in. And my dad had a barber shop right there, where, you know, where Big Burger's at on, yeah. in Foxwood. Uh, is it? Just down on Just Vivian down right here. next to Quick, Quick Trip down there. Oh, yeah, like just past ways, Quick yeah. Trip. At the end of that little Across strip the mall there. Yep. Yeah, the little end of that little strip mall there is Big Burger, and it was a drive-in style back in, in those days. And it looked like a Sonic type of drive-in style with the with the car parking out front. And my dad owned the barber shop next door to that at the end of that shopping mall where there's a there's a restaurant in there now. My dad had been a barber for umpteen years, and so he had that barber shop there. We lived over, kind of in a close neighborhood to it, and uh, that was my. That was my upbringing and my stomping grounds is in through that area as a young man until we were about 17, I think. We, 16. I was 16 when we moved. We bought the farm, and that was in Oric. <coughs> Excuse me. That's the, middle of, that's the middle of nowhere. Missouri right there is Oric. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's actually... Elkhorn proper. Okay. And that's more in the middle of nowhere. That's in, in between Excelsior Springs and Richmond. Sure. And, and. Is that off 24? 10 Highway. T- 10 Highway. Okay. Okay, yeah. 24 yeah. doesn't happen until a little bit more. Well, on the other side of the Missouri. Yeah. Were you interested in mechanics or anything like that whenever you were younger? It wasn't so much of an interest as I liked the freedom of having a vehicle and. I lacked the money to have a good one. Sure. So I learned how to work on them. And I also lacked the patience to wait on somebody else to do it. Yeah. So I figured out how to do it. Well, some of it myself. My brother, I had a brother-in-law that taught me a lot of it. And he, he taught me a lot about mechanic and how things worked in cars. Yeah. Enough to get in trouble. But that's not really what I... I worked on all my cars. I'm going to get in your personal space for a second. Mm-hmm. I think that it would be better if it was like that. Okay. Sorry. I worked on all my cars just to keep my cars going. Sure. And like I said. I Wait, you had more than one car? <laughs> I figured it up the other day when I was writing a nasty letter to my insurance company. Um, that I had owned... I believe 38 cars that had insurance policies on them with that one insurance company. And that doesn't count the ones that I never tagged. 
that I bought and didn't ever put them on the road. That multiples there, projects, different things. But there was so now it's like forty four. But not at the time whenever you were like sixteen, seventeen. No, no, I had I had multiple cars then too because I'd buy cheap ones. What kind of cars? My first one was a seventy Chevelle, and I bought it for two hundred and fifty dollars. Did it work? No, not very good. <laughs> Put an start? exhaust system on. I was fifteen when I bought it. Now I worked for everything I got, and my parents didn't give me. They were good parents, but I didn't have to be given a lot of that. Yeah. If I wanted something that was what was extra, went to work. Sure. My dad had had got into the heat and air conditioning business by that time, and I'd go help him. I'd go help him work on hanging duck work doing that and that's actually really what i've done most of my life the HVAC. cars hvac is actually my probably what i've done longer than anything it 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 got me into the sheet metal side of it sure but i was never afraid to change a course and that came from my dad uh, he taught me no fear when it come to moving forward is amazing i can remember when he started the heat and air business in into the heat and air business he had been a barber and that's all he had ever been as far as a career goes he had a country music show but that was for fun didn't really make much money at that but he barbered and in the 70s, when long hair came in style for men, barbering really fell off. Sure. It was just the way it was. It, was it, it, had, it had been around long enough that it was really starting to affect his shop. And he didn't want to become a stylist. He didn't want to learn how to do that because that's what you would have to do if you were going to cut long hair for men. Sure. He had his regular customers, and he'd work two or three days a week. But he had, I think it was a four-chair shop, and it did a big business until then, and it started falling off. So he hired, he hired a couple of gals that could do styling as well, and cut men's hair, and he'd work two or three days a week. But he knew that something was going to have to change. He was kind of giving away his profit to these people. Yeah, and. He called a guy up one night to fix our or fix our furnace because my dad didn't know how to fix furnace and it didn't move, work. Move that mic a little bit closer to you. And thank you. He called Oscar Moore, and Oscar owns C&H Sheet Metal Heating and Cooling. And he came over and he fixed our furnace and he came back up settle up the bill and he said don't call me next time i'm retired before oscar moore left the house that night my dad who didn't know how to fix his own furnace bought his heat and air company from him <laughs> and convinced him to stay on long enough to teach him how to do it really my dad would have been probably in his late 40s 
completely changed his career path. 100%. Didn't know anything about sheet metal, duck work, nothing. And Oscar, I don't know how long Oscar stayed on because I was young enough. I don't remember most of that. I didn't go with him very much during those periods because he was trying to learn it. But just after Oscar had got done, finally retired, Dad put a sheet metal shop behind the barber shop, taught me from there. I do remember I was nine, ten years old, started bending S's and drives for him and making sheet metal stuff. Sure. I liked it. I liked spending time with my dad. He was my hero. And uh, But I, I never forgot, as I got older, realizing how strong that was to to just just to just to say i'm gonna go in a completely different direction and career-wise and yeah be a business owner another business owner yeah he didn't sell his barbershop he kept it It, yeah and started another business and still had a show sure and i always wondered how does he have this energy and and I I finally know it took me till later years in life to really understand how he kept the energy that he kept. It was the love of it. Yeah. He loved playing music so much for people. Do you play guitar? He played guitar and mandolin and uh, sang. <laughs> they had that, that show down. He'd had a show, a country music, sit-down Opry-type show since before I was born. Uh, they started in Richmond at the Ferris Theater. And a matter of fact, they brought me out on stage the night I was born, or the weekend after I was born, introduced me. I actually ran into people the, the, as an adult that was there that night. Are there pictures the, from it? I don't know if there was from then. You know, you had to stand still real long for the camera back then. Sure, because uh, the hold. yeah, <laughs> wait they for the had flash. Feed down so low that <laughs> you had to stand real still. Yep. Oh, it was. Uh, but his love of the the country music show, he he literally worked for his country music habit to keep it going. And later years, he started making money at it when he was in Northtown. When he'd bring in a a, a Nashville star. Or a, they weren't the the today star because you couldn't seat enough people to to bring in the big names but they were people that people knew gene watson was one that'd pack it every two times in a day have two shows in a day and they'd just be full he's a great entertainer uh, he brought in kitty wells and there were a lot of nashville stars that that were that were famous years ago sure but that's that was also my dad's demographic for his show is the people that grew up loving these people and so it worked out great it was fantastic to to get to meet some of the legends back of of that time and they i can say that the bigger those stars were that were still touring in their older years were the ones that loved the music and they were the best to be around the ones that were kind of halfway 
Sure. Just, you may be heard of them. Yeah. They were the buttheads. And that's sad. But I noticed the ones that really, that were touring because they still loved entertaining. They were great to be around. Yeah. And I ran sound lights and stuff like that for them. Well, you know, I, I used to, I used to, before this, is I would interview artists, musicians. And there was one festival that I was invited to, Tumbleweed. Familiar with that? <clears throat> Alabama came last year for it. And, uh, I, I, I don't know that I've heard of Tumbleweed. They'd only done it for about three, four years. But um, they, uh, but I got the chance to have like my own tent there and set up some cameras and, and do some interviews with some artists. And it's, a, it's, it's interesting because when you sit down with somebody who is um, truly passionate about it, I mean, I mean, does it because they they there's no financial reason for why they do it. They do it because they love it. Like you could tell in the tone of voice when they speak to you. Like I, I believe that. it was it was so clear. And and some so some of the like so so some of the interviews were really. Uh, really bad because it was just like they my manager made me come here yeah <laughs> yeah exactly he well, said to take an interview from anybody that would give me one or or they, they yeah exactly or they would find that you know they would walk over and they'd look at my facebook page and it'd have like 700 likes and they would just be like you know 10 people are going to see this but um there's one guy in particular his name was james carruthers <laughs> and he came in and he was out of everybody, out of all the artists that I sat down with him, he was the one that I like. That that I knew that he was. He wasn't just a country star, but I mean, he wasn't famous. Don't get me wrong; the guy didn't. I don't. He was. He's probably famous in Nashville, but he's he's definitely no Justin Bieber, or Taylor Swift. But he had that. He had that passion in him, and I could. I enjoyed that conversation. It, the. So much that uh, I I downloaded his whole entire album, and I I can't say I listened to a lot of country, but I listened to his music because I heard that same tone in his uh, just speaking to him in in his in his music. I think there's a lot of truly underrated musicians out there that just maybe don't have the the ability to, I don't know if you call it selling out or whatever, it may just not be the charisma to talk to somebody about how to promote me. Sure. Yeah, but they're just... The business they're, they're, savvy side yeah, of it. Yeah, I guess that's, that's, that's to simplify it, yes. Yeah. And they're a genius when they pick up their instrument or when they, when they think of a song or... They write things that are just so deep or something that you're like, that came out of you. Yeah. I, I know people that do this. I mean, people that have been in my dad's band have been that way. And I just... Was your dad like that with his his music as well as his businesses? I actually kind of wish I had thought about it, talking about... Some of this, because I'd have brought you one of his records. I would have put it on one of my shelves. And 
and I will I will I'll give you an album of when he did the quartet album. It's it's funny. Okay. I, I, it's not funny. It's, it's a good album. Dad wrote half the songs on there, or maybe a little less than half the songs, but fantastic songs. And it was a, just the the picture is funny because it's just of the four of them, and it's the it's when it was taken. It's just the style of clothes and the glasses, and it just makes me smile when I see it every time. They were they were called the RFD three, and there was four of them, so <laughs> it had to become Byron Jones and the RFD three. So <laughs> they started out being the RFD. He said, "We're going to have to fix this." It was just funny. We had a lot of the local disc jockeys from sixty one country. Yeah, that would come in and see the show every, every almost every week, and Don Crowley was the program director for years over there, and. He really loved what Dad did for country music and put on a show like that. And he really helped my dad a lot as far as just helping him promote the show and things like that. He didn't give him free advertisement. He couldn't do that. But he was just a helpful. He was a good friend to have in the radio business because 61 Country was a giant. There will never be another radio station like that again. The conglomerates have made sure of that. They bought 61 Country to make sure that that didn't happen again. Yeah. There was... It sucks that's, that's happening, is that all the radio stations are um, overseen well, by uh, a larger entity. I have heard from people that worked there, and I knew several of them over the years several of the djs that have been on 61 country for years and and, and i believe even non crowley had said it himself he says all of the radio stations in kansas city in every genre combined doesn't have half of our listening audience And it was an AM station. It could not stand the models of everything that radio people say should happen. So they bought it and destroyed it. Literally. It's gone. It didn't fall apart. It got bought and shut down. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I think that the, I think that people are taught business models in in school for every different kind of thing that they do. I, I believe that, and I believe that they function in different markets. That's an anomaly. Sixty one country was an anomaly, and it was because of the people that were involved in it. Years, decades, generations. Yeah, the they were the carriers of Paul Harvey. You know, if you wanted to hear the rest of the story, you turned on 61 Country. If you wanted to hear, and this is Paul Harvey News, you turned on 61 Country. It was always in the background, wherever you went, whatever store you went to. If there was a guy working there that had a radio on, and it was time for Paul Harvey, you heard Paul Harvey in the background. You didn't hear anything else. That's what I remember growing up. It may be just where we, we, we went, but... 
Is Paul Harvey the DJ then? No. Paul Harvey was a syndicated, I guess he's probably one of the first syndicated nationwide. He would do a news report every day, and then he did what was called the rest of the story. And I can tell you, you if you want to know who Paul Harvey is, look up If I Was the Devil by Paul Harvey. And it's, it'll freak you out. It's like from like, I think it's 1965. He did a commentary. What would I do to destroy the United States if I was the devil? Hmm. Paul Harvey's dead and gone. Sure. So he was a prophet. <laughs> you know, one of the favorite things he always used to say was, it's not one world. And he would explain what would happen in another country that would never stand here. We wouldn't stand for that here. You know, he'd always tell of some terrible thing happening somewhere else. As it, and as I grew up, I watched it whittle down to watching it happen here. Some of these things happen in here. Some of them, not all of them, because some of them are still terribly dreadful. Um, his voice is something that I'll I'll never. I'll never forget Paul Harvey's voice. And I feel bad that, that you don't know it. And don't get me wrong, he's gone. It, it, it wouldn't be continued to be replayed because it was everything was new every day. And he, he came up with something new every day. And he'd do a small commentary. He'd give the news at some point in time during the day. And then he'd give a little commentary on the rest of the story in the evening. Sure. And so it was a big deal. At Paul Harvey time, you made sure you were by a radio if you liked Paul Harvey. So you heard him live because we didn't record stuff. Yeah. Like this. Not like this. I mean, it's just, it was a different time. If you were making, if you were recording something off the radio, you were trying to catch a song you liked. Yeah. You know. People and, did that? What do you mean, people? I mean, like everybody did that. I mean, like you'd record something off the radio just so you could play it back and listen to it <clears throat> instead of buying, I guess the the '70s version of Napster, this legal downloading. But you had recorded to go buy on the tape measure you had or to go, tape measure tape. You had to go buy the tape. Yeah. Or the album. Yeah. And then you could record it off the album if you wanted to go mobile, like this. This was your Walkman. <laughs> you ever did that? Did you ever? Hold I didn't have the, one, but a guy I used to walk around with had one. <laughs> <laughs> what was that guy like? Uh, we weren't hoods. I mean, it was just you wanted to listen to music, and I think that one held like eight D-sized batteries. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. But that was the thing that you walked around with if you wanted to listen to music. It was mobile, and he, it had double cassette. Boy, he was highfalutin. 
<laughs> so you'd mix from one to the next and well you could dub it what's the big deal high speed dub it if you spent some good money you could run it run at double speed man you could you could it was amazing yeah watching technology change has been fantastic i love it i i, I really do i'm i'm a super big fan of taking this and making this thing my remote control for everything i am digging <laughs> the fact that i can do it now yeah it's been frustrating as could be for the last five years because it's right on the cusp it's right there i mean it's the technology exists but the app isn't written yet for this sure and it just made me so angry and i'm thinking if i only knew how to code or make an app i would do this now <laughs> Oh, you can make money. I don't care. I want my garage to open up when I have my phone tell it. I don't care about making money on it. I want it for me. Yeah. And if somebody else buys it, great. That's the way I think. What, what are some app ideas that you have? Oh, it's just it's simple things like that. Was was I can tell you the one thing that I thought was pretty unique that I come up with that really – isn't one of those, yeah, everybody thought of that moments. I was going to make a, I had some scrap pieces of stainless steel. Yeah. And they were all in triangles. And I cut them to where I could make a globe out of them. And they would be little pyramids in that throughout the globe. And at the end of each one of these little pyramids would be, an LED light. And I would have had to... And I have all this stuff in a box. I was going to wire all of those LED lights to a, to a breadboard, and I was going to make the circuit board for it to operate it, where it, they change color all at the same time and fade from one color to another. And... My wife had complained that at her work that she got moved away from the window so she didn't get the sunshine. And I was going to make this globe <laughs> as, a, as a little sun. Yeah. And with the color-changing lights, I wanted to put a modem in it and have an app on my cell phone that when I was thinking about her, I could change the color on the light Yeah. while she was working. And there was no app that existed for that without being able to use her work's Wi-Fi. Sure. And that was that's a impossible task for where she worked. And but I suppose that was my un, one unique idea. Yeah. Other things they exist <clears throat> today. The my, my ceiling fan. I've got an app on my phone for that. Matter of fact, I have a ceiling fan because there was an app for my phone for that. <laughs> we didn't have a ceiling fan. I found one that says, works on an iPhone? <laughs> Done deal. I'll take that one. That's funny you say that, that, that idea of the, the sun is that um, I think that they have like uh, this app where like if when you're thinking of somebody, like there are these gloves or something that you put on 
I can't remember, but like it will like it'll change colors and it will like warm up or something. Like the, if you're in another country from like your I saw, loved one. I saw something after that. I actually went into a this was long enough ago there was a radio shack in Liberty still. Went in the radio shack and I was gonna buy the just the control circuitry for making a breadboard a simple breadboard type sure of deal for, to control the lights it's, that's not all that hard i can i think i can muddle through that but the circuitry of being able to to connect to the the cell phone was the thing that was losing me well they made something similar after that the guy said that's just that's that's genius or he may have said that's the sweetest thing and maybe i just ignored that when he said that but i don't know but um they made a globe that was something similar to that not too long after it and it's been several years ago yeah and it was it was a it was a friendship globe you could send one to somebody mm -hmm. and they set it up they hook it to their wi-fi you got it hooked to your wi-fi and you and you can change the colors on yours, and it changes the colors on theirs. And I said, "That's genius." <laughs> we're getting to we're getting to the point where, like, I, I think I shared this with somebody. If like, if you if you can think of something happening, like just any scenario, I mean, within means, it's probably happened somewhere on this planet. You know, not outside of technology. If you just think of just like a scenario of what's happened, right? It could be two people looking at each other and uh, one person knocks off their hat and then says, you silly, you silly. And like that has like happened. Now where I'm seeing it is like technology is getting to that point where like if you can think of something technologically uh, ahead of our time that like within the next like, if it's not out now, within the next like year, it will be there. I agree. I, I agree that we're at that point, and and it's it's the connectivity, and I I think that we're the way that they've talked about moving to five G and the the bandwidth on it is it's literally like a mosquito getting swallowed up by a jetliner. The, the mass of it it's not really for us as the consumer for this but it's just giant it, we can't conceive how how much bigger 5g is i guess if it covers like what it is now they say to be watch out who controls that <laughs> that that's another concern i mean but but that, i i agree that we're kind of at that point i think things will open up that we've never thought of mm-hmm when there's when there's that kind of technology but i also i thought that way for quite a while too i really thought what what more is there to know i mean what more is there to invent that's really a blockbuster you know I, you know we kind of got about everything in the world that you'd ever need there's probably very few points in time that people didn't think that. When did, were you were you the type? Did you get an iPhone as soon as they came out? No. No. Were you? Was no sense in it. I still living down around Fort Scott. There was only one cell phone coverage company that would cover the whole county for phone calls. Yeah. 
and that was U.S. Cellular, which was, they were subsidiary of another, I can't remember the name of the first company, but they were mostly, truck drivers used them for Nationwide. And they, they were the first company that bought use on other companies' towers all over the United States. But U.S. Cellular was the only one that covered our county worth a dime. And they didn't, they didn't have any kind of real Wi-Fi or, or any kind of coverage for linking in very good. I saw the iPhone come out, and I thought, well, that's interesting. You know, I, I, I love the touchscreens. I got a touchscreen pretty soon when the touchscreens come out. Matter of fact, my first touchscreen slid up, and I had a full keyboard in it for texting. 100% all the keys. What was, what was that, the Sidekick? Triton. LG Triton, I think. I don't know. I had the Razor. Did you? Yeah. When I, actually, I was... I think I was so I was in junior high school when uh, I, we st whenever I think I got my first cell phone and everybody was getting cell phones and I think my mother justified giving me a cell phone because if I needed a ride home from sports or something and because that's when sports began so but my fascination uh, I was fascinated in, in in the size so like I remember getting a phone and then losing it and then I was a little bit different of an upbringing mm -hmm. they just got me a new one and this this one that i picked out was like the size of i mean it was tiny i mean it was the size probably probably two inches by two inches and then you know like about three quarters an inch thick That's awesome. but but it just it was just a little tiny baby phone um i miss that phone i kind of miss i kind of miss the the whole flip phone era because it was I had it didn't go off. <laughs> yeah, I had uh, I've had several different kinds of phones over the years. I liked my flip phone because I didn't have to worry about it butt dialing. Yeah. When it was I've always put one on a case never in my pocket and wore it on my side is what I started doing, it's what I've always done, and yeah. I still do it today. You're right. Butt dialing wasn't a thing with flip it, phones. It, it wasn't. When I went to a, a touch screen, yeah. that first Triton or Titan or whatever it was, that LG, it closed. So it wasn't an issue. It didn't butt dial. But when I was on the sheriff's office, they gave me a, it was some one of the Android phones. And it was one of the first full-on smartphone, all touchscreen, everything. Yeah. I call people on that all the time because it'd be on my duty belt, and then I'd have my phone over here because you couldn't use too many minutes on the sheriff's phone and all that. So I had to carry two phones, radio. That's right. You were a sheriff, and I swear I pulled me over. When, when <laughs> I don't think so because I wasn't much of a traffic cop. I, it wasn't my thing. It was a... It was down. Maybe it was. Maybe it's because you told me that when you told me that you were a sheriff, or you didn't tell me. <laughs> you showed me your bathroom with the, with the oh, sink. The barrel. Yeah, the barrel mm -hmm. sink, and you had your uh, sheriff's badge up there. Yeah, that's my, that's my monuments room. You can't tell. That's where all my, all of my IDs are. Oh, okay. If you look at all the IDs, <laughs> you'll be able to find out everything I did. I've got cards, 
from when I was a sheriff's deputy, emergency manager. Well, the thing that caught my attention was the sheriff's deal, and and that was pretty interesting. That was. I, I can honestly say though that I wasn't really surprised. You have this like sheriff persona. Now, hopefully, I, a good sheriff. Yeah, because well, I don't want to be the bad sheriff. Yeah, because I don't believe in law enforcement being like that. And that's yeah. the only reason I'm not in law enforcement today, is because the sheriff that I had was great. He believed that we were in place to protect civilian people. Yeah. And we had to enforce the law to do that. Yeah. His undersheriff that took over when he resigned, he, he resigned because his wife moved up here to Kansas City and he decided he wanted to go with her. Mm -hmm. And so he resigned. Well, his undersheriff thought that we enforce the law. <laughs> you enforce the law. That's not the way I think. It's not what law enforcement is for to me. I believe that they're in place to protect the innocent. As much as any of us are innocent, if you want to make that argument. But that's not the argument. It's what they are in place for. And as long as I thought that, I loved being one. And as long as my boss believed that way, I loved being one. As soon as it changed, there is no way that I was going to be an enforcer. That was wrong. Now, don't get me wrong. When there was a bad guy, you arrest the bad guy. Yeah. Because you know he's a bad guy. It's not hard. I didn't live in gray. I didn't go after citizens just to enforce the law. It was not, it was so against my nature. It's, it's easy. Watch kids play when they played cops and robbers. I watch my kids play cops and robbers. It's easy. There's a bad guy and there's a good guy. The bad guy does bad things. The good guy stops him. Yeah. It's not that any harder than that. You can tell who the bad guys are. When you guys start making it up, it's just to try to get money or something. Uh, so what you're saying is there is corruption that ensued I, after. What's the, what's the I higher? can't say that about the guy that took over. Sure. I can't say it is corrupt. I can say it was a mindset. Yeah. Is I am a cop type of mentality. And I am. You will do what I say. Yeah. You didn't play by those rules. Not for that reason. Yeah. I respect law enforcement. I respect all law enforcement. And I think that the vast majority of them, and especially when you wear a badge, you get to meet them on a different level. You get to meet the people. They, take, they let down their walls. They let down their guard with you. And they're people with you. And they're good people, most of them. They believe in what I believe in. But the few that get through and become this badge heavy. They call it badge heavy. There's a term for it. Yeah. And I, I said, I will, I will never be that. 
There's an ashtray for you, by the way. If somebody, if somebody even calls me out for it, I'll either fix it or quit. What's the, what's the hierarchy look like in that? Because so there's there's the your police officer. I was the sheriff's and, uh, and, deputy. Okay, and 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 not only that, but <clears throat> you said badge heavy. I'm sure there's terms. Who's what's the new guy called? Roger. <laughs> I, I was 40 years old when I started in law enforcement, so I was the new old guy. Oh, okay. It really was. I was at the academy at 40 years old. They hired me because I was riding around with the deputies while my wife was working in town. She stayed in town during the week, only come home on the weekends. Yeah. I was bored. I knew all the deputies from being on the fire department and going to car accidents with them, things like that, fires, and these guys were different. They were people. They weren't law enforcement. Joe, Joe Lawman. They weren't the judge. They were. They were decent people. Yeah. And so you could joke around with them if, if the case may be. You know, it was. And <clears throat> I got to be friends with a lot of them. And I said, you know, I said, and I ride along with you guys. You know, I said, but. My wife's out of town, night a week or something like that. I said I'd sign a paper or whatever. So I did. I rode around with a, with one of the sheriff's deputies there, and, and he said, "Yeah, I'd like you to go ahead and become a reserve. It's a matter of filling the paperwork out and taking a couple tests." And I did, and that put me as a sheriff's deputy reserve. I had to do a little bit of training and arms tests and stuff like that but i was an armed sheriff reserve and then one of their part-time guys quit and the sheriff says how'd you like to go to the academy okay it's out in hutchison so i did it was exciting i was i was I was happy that he asked me to do it. It was, it was something that you don't think that you're going to get to do if you're 40 years old. <clears throat> Besides, it was way better riding in the front of a cop car than it was in the back. You've been arrested. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell that story? Well, let's see. Which one? <laughs> Which one? More than once. I can remember. I can tell you the one that was on my record when I, they hired me at the sheriff's office because the sheriff was standing, was sitting at his desk holding a sheet, so I knew he'd pulled my record. And I'd never known anybody pulled my record before yeah. from law enforcement. that they This was an FBI background check. And he said, you ever been in trouble before? I said, yeah, not anything bad i mean it was i said he said well, what what do you do and so i started telling him i said well there was this one time and he said well that's not on here <laughs> and i said well then there's this other time i said but i don't think anything got wrote down about that and he said well that's not on here and i said won't you get me close he said but this is all good information <laughs> but the the thing that was on my record uh, I was 24 or 25 years old, 
and we lived off 62nd Street in North Brighton and I was the only one working my two kids were really little and so money was tight I didn't make I didn't make a lot of money back then and I'd bought my first house I was super happy about that you know, 24 we, yeah and I'd be too well it was a it was a VA repo it needed work but we, I was working on it as as that's that's how I learned to do stuff I buy something that's junk and I make it workable yeah. and this one we all had to live in so I had to work pretty really quick. make it workable but uh super proud of that well we would go down to the little grocery store that's where Clark Tools is at now and it was before they moved across the street. We'd go in there a couple times a week and buy what we could afford for groceries to get us by the, the, the knacky things, you know. And then we'd go to Aldi's on the weekends. And that's how we lived for several years there until I got making more money. And But we got, I had, I had made a mistake in my checkbook. And this is an honest mistake. It was not something that I intentionally did. I wrote a $9.30 check that bounced at that store. $9.37 check sounds like, oh, why would you write a check for $9.30? We didn't have debit cards. So that was not uncommon. If they would have told me, I would have made that right with any fee, because I wouldn't want that. I mean, but as quick as I could, I had to wait for a paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> if it bounced, that means I got no money. That was all my money was in that checking account, and I didn't have nine dollars and thirty cents. They sent it to Clay County as bad check. I got something from Clay County. I can't say that I didn't get something. I got something in the mail from Clay County that said that I had a bad check from there. I said, we need to take care of this as soon as I get paid. And my wife did a lot of the writing the bills out and sending them off. Sure. I never gave it another thought. Assumed that it got paid in the bills. And then it was the night before Halloween. Just put up a new neat mailbox, man. I cut it out of hardwood oak. I mean, I worked really hard on it. Set that up, and I'm looking out the window, and I watched a car come down the street, and they ball batted that thing and knocked my brand new <laughs> mailbox off. And I had the tag number and everything. I said, I got you, punks. 911. Two cops showed up. I said, that isn't very common. It's because I had a warrant for my arrest. That check hadn't been paid for. It cost $780 to get me out of jail that night. And I got to be honest, two Kansas City police officers showed up. They talked to me, and I said, listen, I got my kids. My wife's over at her mom's. I said, let me make a phone call, get my parents here, get my kids. 
if, if you will. I said, I said, I'll do whatever you need me to do. They waited. They let my parents come get my kids. And, and my parents actually bailed me out that night. I had to pay them back, but because uh, it was a cash bond if I wanted out that night, $750. Just so happens my mom likes stuffing mattresses, so she had 750 cash. So, sheriff's deputy took me to jail in the front seat, never cuffed me until we got to the jail. And I had to go in cuffed. Had fingerprinted me. By the time they booked me and got me upstairs, I made a circle and came back around and came back out. The other one was I got to go to the cool sunglasses hut up there on Metro North. That was a DUI. DWI was that long ago. I was 18, I think 18, and that wasn't, that wasn't as much fun. <laughs> one of them was fun, but you didn't ride. The other in, one you didn't was, ride in the front seat on that one. I absolutely, I got to ride in the old school paddy wagon is what they called it, and it was a. That was a bad deal. I mean, I, I screwed up. I was a dumb kid. You still drink? No, I haven't drank in several years. But I did drink after that. Don't get me wrong. That didn't sure. stop me from drinking. I can promise you that. But that was just a bad, bad decision. I, I, I left a party and shouldn't have drove and wrecked. I hit a lot of things. Thank goodness it was no people. So, I didn't hurt anybody but my my record. <laughs> so, uh, but that 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 that's a that's a blessing, really. That that happened when it did. What were you driving? Nineteen seventy-three Dodge Super Cab Long Bed. I fell asleep. And I, I had to have been going fast. It, it, I must have stepped on the gas when I fell asleep, because I, I don't remember any of it. I woke up. I'm, I'm in the passenger seat. What am I doing here? Slid over, put it in gear. It wouldn't go. Got out. There was no rear end. This is bad. Hit house. I hit a lot of things before I got to the house. <sighs> Telephone pole, there was a lot of stuff in there. Somebody, somebody. Oh, you're here today. Some Somebody was watching out a, a, over me that day. That's, that's a good segue into the question that I always ask during these <clears throat> is, will you please move fa uh, closer to the microphone? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I'm relaxing for crying. Now I can't relax. 
Here, check this out. Check this out. Try this. That's not even the question. The question, the question is gonna make you feel a whole lot less comfortable, or it might make make you feel. I don't know, but I always ask the question: Who is your God? God. Yeah. God. G- God. Yes. That's your. There. He is. Well, some 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 people worship Mother Nature. And consider Mother Nature to be other people. <clears throat> Buddha, you heard of Buddha? I probably heard of all of them. Yeah. But God. Yeah. Is my God. And Jesus is His Son. Okay. And I, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So, Did, was there anyone who like told you that, or were you just like? Was it, I guess, time that you were just, like, stricken and you're like, wow, I... I told you about an anomaly being 61 country. Well, here's another one. My dad ran a country music show all of my life, pretty much. Had a country music show. Is your your God the same as your dad's God? He was probably the most religious man that I've ever met. Really? Really? And lived it. Yeah. My dad didn't tell me how to be a good person. He showed me. He never told anybody, you need to do this. You need to be like this. He just proved it. That's who I had for a dad. And so, yes, he did raise me in the church. He raised me... As a, I believed in God from a very young age, scared to death of him. I was terrified of God. I was terrified of God. I was terrified of hell. I was terrified of everything that had to do with spirituality. Because my sister, have you ever watched the old Saturday Night Live shows with the church lady? Did they talk about Satan? I've got a pretty good idea of what it is. All right, she's really that person. Yeah. She told me I was going to hell from the time that I could speak. You're evil. You're awful. You're rotten. You're a bad person. She did that from a judgmental Christian standpoint. And it's either you quit believing in God or you start believing them. I had a pretty low self-esteem of myself most of my life. And it, you know, it was funny that my sister had that big of an impression on me, but she was so mean. And it did have an impression. She was seven years older than me. But it was just every time I'd do something, it was, it was hard to overcome. I believe I have. But it was hard. I remember it. I haven't forgot it. I do know how it felt. And that's one of the few things in my life that I can tell you that I remember how it felt. I've had surgeries in my life. I don't remember the pain before that or after specifically, but I remember how that felt because 
She made me terrified of somebody that loves me. And I had to become a, not only an adult, I had to go live an entire life to realize that she was just wrong. I'm not evil. I don't have, my thoughts aren't evil. But that's what she was convincing me of. That was my overcoming thing. That's where I ended up, that's how I ended up doing the bad things that I did. Figure why not? Going to hell anyway. Sister said so. My dad never did. Should have listened to him more. I will tell you that by the time I was 12 years old, I could quote more scripture than most people ever do in their life. Church-going people. I took it upon myself to quote scripture. I wanted to learn it. I wanted to learn everything about it. And I could memorize stuff like that. And it was always passages that was good. It was the good stuff, the, the stuff that mattered. And um, so, and I remember when my brother and sister had gotten baptized. As part of our church, it was a we believe that's part of it, and as do I. And I remember coming up to I don't know I was thirteen or something like that, and I said I'm I want to get baptized, and they believe that the age of accountability. And it's a little different for everybody. And I thought it was. My dad thought, maybe we should wait a little bit longer. He was a kind man, don't get me wrong. He wasn't doing it out of any kind of spite or anything like that. But he didn't think it was time. And then, on my 13th birthday, me and my mom and dad, my brother and my sister were sitting around at the table and Dad told me a story about when I was born. And he said, I was over at the old barber shop, which was somewhere over in town at the time, and they called me and told me that you were born. And he said, so I got on the phone and I called your mom. And his 13th birthday. I at least thought I knew who I was, you know, but an awkward time anyway, you know. And I didn't have a clue I was adopted. And nobody told me. My brother and sister weren't, but they'd lost they'd lost a 
child about the same time I was born. Uh, uh, and just a uh, miscarriage. They were running to have a third one. Adoption came up. They adopted me. Nothing wrong with my parents adopting me and nothing wrong with the way they raised me. It was a gift. But when they told me at 13 years old, I was crushed. It destroyed me. I had no idea who I was. And no way to, no, no way to deal with it. I was 13. I didn't know anything. All I knew was, these are my parents, they're great parents. And my dad, he's the, he's the coolest guy ever. And I'm just like him. I want to be just like him. And now I'm not. <laughs> they never give me any reason to think that, but I, it really destroyed me. And the worst part was I left that meeting and we all knew mutual people, my brothers and sisters and I, brothers and sisters of their friends. Every one of them knew. My friends knew. And we're told not to tell me. Now, I don't fault my friends so much, but I still hurt, you know. I was destroyed from that then. And then they started saying what the other parts of it was, and that, that's really come to fruition, that every time that I'd be some squirrely kid or something like that, well, he's adopted. That's when I became lost. I was lost for a long time. I dumped all my friends, took on the friends that would accept me for whatever I was, because I didn't know. And started down a terrible path. And end up being a drunk for 20 years on top of the other just the whatever dope come through what he was doing when we were young it wasn't a wasn't a one thing or anything like that it's just we just did it whatever came around I spent a long time being a drunk I don't want to face it and uh, so I was a My dad never gave up on me. Not once. All the, like having the DWI, that was his truck I wrecked. <laughs> and he hollered at me once, told me shut up. There was gas blowing out of the ground. I told him get the gas shut off, don't worry about me. He said shut up drunk. That's about all he ever yelled at me about on that. He knew I'd pay for everything, he made me made me work for it. Not as punishing, but you know, he's... So, 
him not giving up on me made me say there's some there must still be something to this church and the way he believes because he believes it all of his heart and I spent most of my life as a man not going although I didn't I had an on-off switch with cussing. I don't cuss around my parents. But it was an off switch. And uh, so I had a lot of respect for him. As unfortunately, I became a member of the church after he died. That was sad. And, uh, he uh, he was always proud of me. Most people are disappointed when they meet their hero. Mine raised me. And I thank God every day I got to tell him. I did. But he, he's a, he was a great man. I know he probably didn't come talk about my dad, but I had a good life, and I I get all belly achy and think oh, I had it so bad. I didn't have it bad. I had it great, and I and I pick out the one thing, one person that was bad to me, and that's what I what I blame all my tragedies on. It was time to step up and just forget it, you man. And uh, unfortunately, I believe deeply in the word. They, uh, I don't, I don't know what you believe, but I know as Christian, it's all similar. Most of it's semantics of it, the ritualizations that that break people apart. Why there's so many different sects and denominations. They grew up at their church, the way they believe. That shaped my mind, and I've been to many other churches since then. And honestly went in with an open mind and tried to look for similarities. In, in my later years, I looked for similarities instead of differences. And I found some. But I believe in the way they believe. Because of the, the study. And for the most part, don't get me wrong, there are some things I disagree with. That's fundamental. 
a couple of things I disagree with them fundamentally on. Um, but I guess the big deal about talking about my dad is he took, he brought me, he brought me back to the church. And I, I got baptized and became a a member of, of, of that of the church. I guess it had been just four years ago, three years ago. And uh, So it's fairly recently. Hmm? Recent. Uh, yeah. And uh, it felt good to and like I said, I was pretty sad. I still am. That dad wasn't there the day I got baptized. But uh, there was a lot of bad stuff that happened after he died with my my siblings. And like I say, the my parents never treated me any different than the other two. I mean, we were different people, but they didn't treat me as lesser or more. That wasn't the way it was. And my dad's will bore that out. And I, I couldn't believe how bad that went. It was bad enough that I went to an attorney and had my name taken off of all the property that was left. Very least a quarter million dollars worth of property. Just to not be a part of that family anymore. They went evil over money. Yeah. And these are the church people. One of them is preaching. I said, man, I can't go here and have you preach, teach. It's not really preach, it's teaching. It's just a member. He's not a preacher. But he, each member takes turns at preaching. Sure. <clears throat> I can't help have you held up as one of the anybody that's doing this and he was held in pretty high esteem in the congregation when you're going directly against it right now while you're saying it you're, you're going completely against what you're saying I can find it everywhere in the Bible that says when you, you the Old Testament talks about follow through with your deals don't go before the judge you make your Keep your word. Follow through with the deal. There was a lot of things in Solomon's times and things like that. Talk about that. But I don't find anything that says that I can decide to just change everything. There's nothing in the book that says that. We're talking about 
property sales. It was it it was horrible. I couldn't believe it, and it continued. They ran me out of church. I had just had a heart attack, and them two ganged up on me. This is within the past three years. Yeah. So I, I, I. Is this when, when you were trying to? When I, when my dad got bad enough that he was getting ready to die, he had a couple of spells where he'd fall, fallen, and there wasn't anybody. He ended up in a rehab after coming out of the hospital, and I went up there every day to see him. This was supposed to be a rehab to get him back to the house. Getting back up going because he, he was he was a, a virile man. It, it, I knew he was falling off, but I didn't think he was going to be that bad. They were letting him sit in a chair all day long. I just, it just wasn't acceptable to me. Yeah. And that and that's what they do. That's fine. I'm not faulting these people. I said we got to have a plan. What are we going to do? I'm taking him home because they just didn't have a plan. They didn't have an exit date. If you don't have an exit date, that means he's going to die here. That's not what I'm. That's not all I brought him here for. I brought him here to get better, come home to rehabilitate. Exactly, and they was like, "Well, we, we're just not sure if that's okay." I, I didn't ask you. I brought him home, and I took care of him until he died. And I didn't want to be that close and personal to my dad. You know, it was, it was awkward and it was weird, but I did it. Yeah. And uh, he asked me to help. He said, when I go, he says, I already got my will figured out because after mom died, he did it. He said, you know, you're going to have to make them do it. I said, they won't do it for me because I'm still the 17-year-old idiot to them. I always will be. It doesn't matter what I do in my life, what my successes You're are. You're the youngest? Yes. Yeah. I'll always be the the mistakes I made. The black sheep. When I was a kid. I, I absolutely am the black sheep. And and I don't mind being the black sheep, but I'm not the fool that, 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 that they deemed me as. And he said, You're going to have to do it. Because you're the only one that will. And I said, they won't let me. He said, I know. <laughs> I remember that conversation word for word. And I tried. I tried for two years to get him to settle his accounts, settle his affairs. It was already laying down. It was on paper. And he wouldn't do it. And then they attacked. I got attacked for it. And I was willing to do all the work. I wasn't even making them do the work. So I've had, I've had a little bit of a... I left going to the congregation up here. And I hadn't been back to church since. I talked to the elders about it. I talked to one of the elders at my church. And an elder from another 
another congregation, same church. Sure. And I didn't want to talk to my uncle, who's the other elder. Honestly, I just wanted to lay the stress on him. He's the only brother left out of 11. He ain't long for, for here. And what, what could he really do? I don't want to put him in the middle of it for family reasons, mostly because I respect him. My uncle is a good guy. And I got nothing from the others. And I don't know what I really expected him to do anyway. Honestly, I, I don't know. But I've, I struggled so hard after I got baptized. I was never a bad guy. I was always a good guy. When did you get baptized? About uh, three or four years ago. Three, three years ago. It was like, like the devil fought me at every turn to keep from losing me. I literally felt like evil was tracking me. I don't know. It freaks anybody out when you talk about that in a church. And that's the one place you ought to be able to but especially in a church to talk about <clears throat> I'm going to walk in that door and I'm going to profess that I love God and I believe in him I have not seen him nor will I ever in this lifetime see God himself He is a, I believe he is a spiritual being. He's omnipresent. I believe that he's all around us. But I also believe that the devil is just as real as God and evil is just as real as good. And to absolutely dismiss what we can see in front of us every day more and more clearly and less and less hidden is foolish to me. And when I can't even have any, a, a rational conversation about it, I'm not talking about seeing spirits coming, evil spirits coming and getting me or anything like that. I just feel like the cards have been stacked against me on some things. As I'm trying to do this, every turn I make the right decision, every turn I am tested in it. Mm -hmm. God does not test me. He saves me every time. Because I don't fail. It's hard. I've been good all my life. Humbled by evil. I have fought for people. Just in general. 
to stop people from being tortured and hurt. Because it's right. Because I'm good. I have a good nature. And it's been hard. But I've never had it so hard as after I've been baptized. It never got easy. And, and it still isn't. Isn't that strange? When when you when when I share with people things that I believe to be good and that are true, it seems like it's the most difficult that's the easy part for me the most difficult part for me is the hours that follow like if I share a bit of scripture or just a doesn't even have to be scripture but it just something that I see is is just true hits the nail on the head that the hours that follow are the most Difficult. It reminds me of uh, there's a story that's told how it's not really a story. I see it as a story, but how you clean up your home and you put your home in order and everything is cleaned up and the demons have left. And then what happens is that uh, those seven demons, and I'm probably butchering it that leave come back with 77 of their friends uh, that may be not exactly but that's that's kind of how i see it is that uh i don't know if you see that the same way because it sounds like whenever you said that you get you got baptized that things just got worse after that that's like never before yeah you know my wife i've been married for 31 years we were married pretty young, but I still, I've been married for 31 years. One of the things that my wife resoundingly has always said, is, hey, you're the luckiest man I've ever met. I said, man, you must know some unlucky people, because it didn't seem like it to me. I persevere, because I have to. There's no giving up. You know, you don't. I don't get to call 911 to take care of my family. Doesn't matter if I was prepared for it. I have to do it. That's how I became everything. Some of it was want. I got on the fire department because I wanted to, but I also felt like I needed to. I had a business down there as a heat and air company. And if business owners didn't get involved with the community, then didn't do the volunteering for the fire department because it was all volunteer. Yeah. You didn't have what? Yeah. The business owners that can leave and not get fired have to be the volunteer department. Mm -hmm. I knew that instinctively. So. I wanted to do it. I wanted to drive a truck with a siren on it and have a woo-woos. Who doesn't? But it was so much more. I loved helping people. 
but that 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 is one of the most I don't think I ever shared that before about being so hard I I I did share it with another member of the church that I really thought I'd been attacked not by people not by a thing not by a specifically thing but at every turn there were obstacles in my way that didn't seem right there it wasn't the same and I'll be honest with you I th I thought I would be so freed to remove myself remove some of the guilt that I had for not doing it for so many years the fear of doing it I don't know what it was it, it became a thing that was I gotta do this gotta do this I gotta do it eventually I, I don't know you know I finally did and, and then because I believed I needed to I believed it so that's why I did it. It's not because somebody else says this is a good thing or anything like that. I believe it, personally. Because it's beyond John 3.16. So what he says next. That makes me believe it. It's what Jesus said. That's why I believe it. That's why it was pointed out to me. That's the way I was taught. So I do believe it. So I did it with no reservation and I don't know I don't know if <laughs> I don't know. every time that I think that the devil's trying to keep me I always it puts it back into my head of the low self-esteem thing why would he want me it's not all about me why do we fight so hard to keep me? Not that big a deal. I'm just, I'm just Roger. The guy that knows everything about nothing. And I kind of didn't this to go this way <laughs> it's cool I didn't either I thought I'd start talking about Wolf Creek Pass or something <laughs> try to keep it funny <laughs> well you're a funny guy 90% of the time I, I do tell a lot of jokes because I do like to laugh yeah And I, I have to get through the things going wrong because I'm not quitting. And I won't quit. It's some of the, been some of the physically hardest things I've gone through too in those same three years. I, I got quadruple bypass surgery for my 50th birthday that was nice 
do you, do you see do you I kind of had this question for myself a while ago not a while ago like two weeks ago I, I I'll tell you this probably ten years ago I fell in love with this girl who lived in Texas she was wealthy I was working at McDonald's because my parents made me get a job sure they bought me they bought me the the cell phone after I'd lost my phone but but they made me work too I got my first job when I was 14 at Hy-Vee <laughs> so I was working at McDonald's talking to this girl I mean you're rich if you have a, a, a a home with pillars. You're wealthy if you got a home with pillars and you got a pool, tennis court, and basketball court. Anyway, um, I remember really. That's old money. Yeah, it is. It's Texas money, and I, I, um, I remember really clearly that that I ended up just stop. It was one of those just. I thought to myself, I'd never be what this. I'd never, I'd never be that, that the person that is for her. And um, and one of the things that like flicked the switch for me is that I, I think I remember asking her like why she spoke to me and like it was because I was entertaining. Hmm. And now ten years later, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, probably longer than that. Time flies so quick. Is that I I asked myself like am I going am I an entertainer or am I a leader? And it kind of goes back to what you're saying is that a lot of times you're you're more a funny guy and here now you're it seems to be that you're serious but it I think I just wanted to be honest yeah because it never I knew coming here this never goes away yeah and I watched a little bit of one of your, one of your previous shows. Sorry, I haven't been watching. Um, I didn't know about it until you asked me to come. I thought about just being the the people that most people meet, the person that most people meet. And I don't think that that's fake, but I don't. I don't tell my life to everybody because it's not. Nobody wants to hang out in a tragedy, and I ran a lot of people off when I was angry. I was angry when my family did that. I felt like I lost them, all of them, my siblings, anyway. And I ran a lot of people off, just because it's, it's hard to be around a bitter person. I understand it. I, I couldn't stop it. <laughs> it was just there. It was it. And I had to work hard to get me out of that. And I want to be a, I am naturally more like you've met me. This is more of how I've always been in my life. I I want to enjoy work. I was never a mechanic. 
I worked on my own cars. I was a sheet metal worker slash HVAC guy all my life. That's what I know. The prices have gone through the roof where you got to get a $10,000 loan. Go borrow money to put a furnace and air conditioner into your house. And either I get tied in with one of these predatory lenders most people don't have an extra 10 grand that they can just dump and that's a fact it's just most people don't well I guess most people I know most of my customers didn't have that kind of money and I didn't want to send them to a predatory lender become connected with a predatory I had predatory lenders trying to get me to be part of their deal and I won't do it. I think that's horrible. The way they do it. Not the fact that they're lending them money. Don't get me wrong. Lending money, you pay a rate for, for that lending of the money. There's nothing wrong with making money off of lending money. Sure. It's the predatory nature of how some are doing it. They hide in how much it's actually going to cost them. And it's just, have you ever read the entire credit card agreement? I have. I haven't had a credit card since 1999. Because I read it. And I got laid on one payment. And it jumped to 27% interest. Minimum payment. I owed more the next month. I was done with credit cards. How can you do this? Well, it's in the fine print. I couldn't do that anymore. I'm afraid. I, I just, that's just, I couldn't. That's why I can't be successful at, at a heat and air company. I can do small jobs on mechanics. I built the shop to become, I actually built that shop to do industrial repairs as a sub of subs, like subcontractors that go in and fixed industrial machinery when they had something that had to be turned around fast, welded, fixed, rebuilt, they could bring it to me and I can fix that. It's what I built that shop for. It's why it's got the overhead cranes. It's why it's got the lift is for my own cars because I'm always going to drive junk <laughs> and I like it. I had to start mechanicing because I had a heart attack. And I couldn't do what I did before. So I started doing brake jobs. Things that I knew how to do and things that I was that I learned how to do. I learned how to do things every day. Some things I still don't know how to do and I'm working on them. I try to be as honest as I can when I don't know. I'll figure it out if you want me to do it. It's the best I can do. I charge half price for school hours. And then what's that? That's that's when I'm learning how to fix your car. Yeah. Because I don't know. 
what I thought was wrong. So when I'm learning how to fix your car, I have to charge you half price. It's going to take you twice as long. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's how I became a mechanic. I may not be a mechanic, a mechanic six months from now. I'll always work on people's cars because people rely on me now. I still work on people's air conditioners. That's what got me here at the time that I got here is I moved my neighbor's air conditioner for him. I cut it loose and I put it up on a pedestal. And then we had to go find gas for torches. But nevertheless, I did that for my neighbor because I can. He paid me, but he was going to pay somebody to do it. But that's how I became a mechanic a long ways around that corner. That was a long story, wasn't it? <laughs> this is how my stories go. Around the mountain. At least when I'm not drinking, I do get back to the point. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that was frustrating for people. Because I had as many stories, but... I, Never remember where I started. Yeah. <laughs> but I have to get my words out every day. Sure. That, well, that's what Jake told me whenever. I'm sure he, he goes, I'm sure you and Roger will get along. I go, why, Jake? And he goes, you guys are both talkers. It's like. <laughs> he told me, he says, yeah. Yeah, Josh is a talker. I said, man. That ain't a good thing. We'll be fighting for airtime. <laughs> That's right. There's only so much time that we can be there and we'll all be both trying to have the airtime. Did you ever think of becoming a, maybe a DJ? Absolutely. <laughs> you know what? I still think about it today. Not seriously. I mean, yeah, not serious enough to think, okay, how would I do that? I think about it because I was born on the Blarney Stone for crying out loud it's not kissing it I mean I, it's like I started this when I learned words mm -hmm. and from what I can tell it hasn't stopped all throughout my I've probably got more videotape of me than most people do in their life too because they videoed the show all those years and I, I did entertaining on the show too um, some of that's bad uh, but yes you must have some time if you come visit Roger because I always have a story that's a problem even if I didn't know I had a story yeah that's the problem with today is that, that nobody has the time no we kind of set ourselves up for failure in that way. I do it to myself still. I, I set expectations, and, and then when I don't meet them, the next expectation that's lined up, because you have to have the work ready for the next day or whatever, if you can. It's a blessing to have other work coming up. It puts that behind when this one doesn't come through 
I do spread them out as best as I can. But emergency work comes in. Jake is one of the guys that I need to turn his vehicles around faster because it's a business. There's more than one person that's depending on that. Some people's vehicles, if it's their only means of transportation, they got to get back and forth to work with that. And they may be able to get a ride for a day or whatever, but they can't depend on, I'm going to turn that around. Yeah. They're going to jump in priority over something that's a long-term project anyway. So I, I, I do that for people. I think I've taken consideration. It's not a line. I can't work like that. If I have to work like that, that means somebody else took over and I'm not going to be there very long. It's kind of the way of it. If I'm not doing good for people altogether, then I don't want to do it. I won't do it. I, I have a finite amount of time in this life. I'm not doing wrong to people anymore. If I ever have... I hope I can. I hope I've made up for it. I'm just not going to do it anymore. I'm done being in the hole. I quit digging. If somebody's in the hole, I jump in there with them because I've been there before. I know how to get out. That's what I think when I when somebody comes and they're desperate, and need help. I don't do that for everybody, but. There are people that are that are in need and they get help. And the time is usually always right when somebody needs something like that. It's a it's a vast amount of knowledge, a plethora of knowledge that won't get used unless somebody really needs it. Well, I'm I usually don't come to a stopping point. <laughs> Apparently, I found one. Ah, oh, cigars, I see. Yeah, occasionally I'll <clears throat> smoke a black and mild. Those smell good. I don't like smoking them. I can't not inhale. Well, I hope I answered the question you didn't ask. <clears throat> I know now why you're a mechanic. <laughs> That's why I like to say that this is a conversation and an interview because in an interview there's more than one question. Conversations, it's usually one question and it leads <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> well, I think you picked me because you knew it'd be easy. <laughs> You didn't have to prepare. So, go. <laughs> no, I think I, I. I think part of the reason I picked you is because because <clears throat> I coughed all over you like two weeks ago. Whenever you're cough or whenever you were, I don't know if you heard me. I was coughing quite a bit around you while you were working. I checked my temperature and it's been two weeks and I'm all right. So, I think I'll be all right. Yeah. I tell everybody. I, I, I don't think. I guess I, I chose you because I, I know you wouldn't. You want to check, make sure I wasn't sick. 
<laughs> no, I wanted to check and make sure that if I was sick and something happened to you, you wouldn't, you know, um, hit me with a lawsuit. Every time that I cough, wait I a say, second, we do I need say to- <laughs> that's COVID two thousand one. That's when that cough started and it ain't quit since. See, I'm I'm actually happy that the restaurants are open because I have this thing where when I eat, after I eat, I'll usually cough. cough I'll cough. One of my friends, he's a physical therapist, and he told me that there's some medical reason for that or something. Some people hiccup, some people cough, some people. But uh, I think if the restaurants were opened up and I go in there and I eat, and afterwards I start coughing, nobody would want to be around me. People would get up and walk away and... <laughs> I think this new I mindset. think honestly, I guess it depends on where you go because I think most people pass this. Most people. Yeah. I think the people that are still a little worried about it because I mean you hear about it every day. It's not like this isn't a real thing, but is it the thing that we've been told it is? No. Well, you can't. You can't say that. You can't. You can't answer that. You can only ask that question. Once you give a definite answer to something like that, you are held to the uh, fire of the society and media. If you make a statement like that, you are persecuted. Or if you even consider... That, that's our camera, right? That's a camera. <laughs> Let no. me tell you this. I'm going to stay poor, so you can't take anything from me. The media is lying to you. And they're using money to make the local ones lie to you, too. So, there. <laughs> that's a matter-of-fact statement. This is all a bunch of crap. I was in emergency management when H1N1 hit. I was an assistant emergency manager in Bourbon County. When H1N1 hit, the CDC did the exact same thing as they say now. We need to isolate everybody. The difference was they weren't trying to get rid of a president, and they didn't have the media backing them like they do right now. I've never seen such a corrupt thing in my life. I'm scared to death this country's going to be gone. Willingly imprisoning a healthy population to protect the elderly and at-risk people is absolute tyranny. If anybody doesn't see that as tyranny, this country's already lost. And it's, it's a super sad thing because everything that I talked about, religion and why I love this country and why I fly a flag so high, the American flag is huge above my building. I remember. Because I built that and forced my children, my adult children, to help me stand that pole up. I didn't need their help for nothing. I had a winch set up. I could have set it. I could have pushed the button and hung that flagpole by myself, but I forced a memory on my children to fly the largest flag for the United States because it's important. We have the freedom 
that no one on earth has ever had. And to stand back and let a few people extinguish it by fear of something that is daily shifting. This, oh, well, we're still learning. We're still learning. I'm afraid that's not working anymore. There's more common sense. But what you said is absolutely true. You'll be absolutely crucified by the media if you have a job that somehow has some kind of public eye that say you're a big advertiser on television or something like that and you say what I'm saying they can't have that and you be part of their organization because they'll be crucified they say that, that this is all a lie they'll put it on your company so they've silenced the people that way. They silence them by money. You've been bought off one way or another. I see it in the churches. I've seen it for years. I'm not saying that I wasn't guilty of it. I didn't want to lose my job when I worked for companies that were good companies to work for. I was I was willing to do what they asked me to do and not 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 it was evil or something I, I wouldn't do that but the not speaking out the not the there are i just watched that this is this is horrible what's happened it's absolutely devastating to me it hurts my heart to watch it happen because the targeted things specifically called out were churches. And that's by people that cannot believe in God. And I will tell you why. Because you asked with your eyes. God asked us to assemble together and be in his place. And we believe that we are preparing ourselves a place with God in a much better place. There should be no fear from a believer that going to church is going to kill them. If it is the case, then we get to go home. That's what the people don't understand that are targeting these churches. They do not understand faith. True faith means it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that I'm going to be stupid about it. It doesn't mean that I, hey, if you're coughing, you know, cough that way. We've always said that. Don't be a pig. Don't move your snot on me. We, 
We're not the great unwashed just because we have faith. We have survived all of these centuries without this government. This is not an end-all deal. 98% of the people that get it are surviving. And that's a low number, mind you. And you got to shut your church down? Specifically, churches? That was intentional. So, yes. I have you know, an opinion my, on that. My, my views on it have actually shifted a little bit. Somebody asked me uh, in a text message about what I thought about <clears throat> churches being shut down. And I replied at that point that it's, well, you obey the laws of the land. But my, my views on it have shifted quite a bit. I listened to a guy named Matt Walsh, who's a, what would you call it, a pugnant? A pugnant? But, uh, he, he, he talks politically, but he also speaks about culture, culture and, and religion and religion and culture. And Anyway, he kind of shifted my views on it a little bit, is that, <clears throat> that it was, you know, how, how easy was that? How easy was it for the, the government to say, look, no more church, and just overnight... Everybody said, no, everybody okay. closed. Everybody, everybody closed their doors. There's no higher authority. There is no higher authority than God. Our rights were given to us by God. Our constitution protects us from the government taking them. That's why this was a great country. They flushed it down the toilet over a cold. It's a cold. Colds kill people every year. The flu kills people every year. This is a cold virus. It's a, it's a nasty one. Yes. Kills old people every year. Every year. That's what they die of, usually. I mean, that's actually... The language you're using is actually precisely accurate because coronavirus it's cold it's, it's a it is a form of the cold yeah i know <laughs> i'm 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 truly speaking because i know yeah this this is a cold it's a bad one don't get me wrong it's a easily spread and it's a bad cold otherwise it wouldn't have Spread so fast in New York. I'm just, I'm just, I'm thinking through right now. I'll tell you what I'm like. My immediate, my immediate thought is, is that uh, we're streaming this on YouTube, and so I'll, I'll stop. Uh, no, 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 I'll no. stop. I mean, that, honestly, I don't want you to get kicked off of it. Yeah, and, for this. Well, that's the thing is, is that the the channel is not the channel. The channel is is not large enough because there's several channels that have millions of subscribers and they're watched on a daily basis so much so that somebody there's I've seen multiple channels that have uploaded things that are that are true and um, within a day they are wiped clean off the internet I, and I don't want that to happen and I, I could I, I can shut this off <laughs> like 
like my cuss button. Yeah. And I've had my cuss button pushed ever since I've been here. Yeah. <laughs> it's controllable and I can and I can shut that off. Yeah. For that very reason. Well, what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, I, I, I don't think I'm, I don't, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm even too worried about it. It's the very, it's it the very a, thing that I'm sad about. Yeah. It. I'll tell you. I'll, I'll end it with that. It's the very thing I'm sad about. Yeah. Well, because I'm saying nothing. That's. Well, it's, well, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, what's what's crazy to to, to regardless of whether it is, and I believe it's true, but regardless of whether it's true or false, is that. Um, Because 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 I don't have hundreds of millions of people listening, is that we are because it, I mean it's crazy because you said because you're poor. I, whenever I think of the, the 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 position I'm in is that I'm poor in subscribers and and view count is that that's the where we find the freedom to be able to have this kind of conversation and for the few that listen in I don't know if we have anybody listening in do we have anybody listening? Okay, but for the few who do hear this, who do listen, sure. who, who find the diamond in the rough of the the large conversation, the, the I don't want to. I don't want to think that it. I'm going to throw it off into some political thing either. No, I understand because I will I not get partisan on it. Doesn't have to be. As far as I'm concerned, it's all about just just getting to be in a free country. I I, I really wish that it wasn't so easy to take it. Yeah, and it was. Was just taken and it was proved that we now I listen to it every day even people I respect talk about the government the government the government the government there is no government we are we the people it's us why are we saying it's something else it's us. It's displaced responsibility. It's the. I don't want to say it like that anymore. I don't want to, and sick of people. Well, what are you gonna do? We're gonna do it exactly, legally, and pay attention, vote right. You know, that's that's the big deal. Yeah, it's a paying attention thing. I think my generation did a horrible job. It's awful. I'm a Gen Xer, just past the baby boomers. It just did horrible. I'm guilty. I was drunk for twenty years. No excuse. Still voted, but I didn't pay attention to the detail on certain things. I probably knew more as a drunk than most people know today. I did pay attention, but I think we as a generation did awful pay attention to it. Eh, hey, what are you going to do about it? Bureaucracies. There's 15 people tied to every elected person. That's huge. I'm talking all the way down to little government. You know, it's, I have to pay attention to your local everything. Vote. Vote. 
who believes like you. That way you will actually elect people that are the people. Stop putting politicians in there. Somebody that's somebody that goes up there and serves and then comes home and does their job. That's why it was designed. I will serve for a term or two terms. And then I gotta come home. I gotta go back and work. Mm-hmm. It's not that way anymore. It's a lifetime of being a millionaire. It's terrible. And we've just let it happen. And they built the big bureaucracy around them, the protection. And it, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I've just gotten up older where I. It makes me mad to to watch it just fall apart and have everybody go. Oh, what are you gonna do? At least I, I want to say how I feel about it. Do you realize how great this country is? And and you say you can't do anything about it. That's wrong. We have to do something about it. We have to be voters, diligent, thoughtful. I I think this needs to have a swing the other way from this because it's terrible what's done. And I feel like everything that we're losing as a country is just being taken out of me because I have such reverence for it. The amazing wisdom of young men. And I didn't know it until I was older in my life that, that the founding fathers were young men. They're always portrayed as these old dudes. Mm -hmm. You know, we look at them on the bills and the and the rock monuments and think, yeah, a bunch of old codgers, pretty smart. They did a good job. They were young men, 30s. I guess they were, most of them they were in their early 30s when they wrote the Constitution, when they wrote the Bill of Rights. That's awesome. I'd like to see my son be that excited about just keeping it. Just keeping it. You don't have to go declare your independence and lose everything to keep it. Just have to pay attention. Isn't that, isn't that interesting how the uh, people are really passionate about when they make something, but they're not as passionate about maintaining it. So like with relationships today is they're very passionate about getting into a relationship but they're not and I guess I speak on personal experiences that I'm not too willing to maintain it right well I think people don't want to believe it's happening because they, they don't want to upset the apple cart do you want to lose do you want things to not be where you can go get the job or whatever. It it feels like you're gonna upset the apple cart if you if you go against this, you know. And I, I believe that there's a lot of fear of that. I can understand that. I do understand it from that. If we change it and turn it upside down, is it is it gonna 
And I'm not advocating turning everything upside down. Don't get me wrong. I'm advocating appreciating what we had and and it's diligence that keeps it. There are always bad people that want to take and believe that that's their job in life. That's all they do is want to take. Keeping them out of government is diligence. <laughs> it's just what it is. We have to keep doing it. Every generation, every multiple times during that generation, we have to keep doing it. Yeah. It's just that's what that's what paying attention means. I think. And can't say that I I paid enough attention. I feel a little guilty about it. I don't know if I should. I did pay attention. Maybe to not all the things I should have. You did ask me about the corruption that I saw. It wasn't really in the in the law enforcement down there or anything like that. I watched it in this county government. That county was run by one business. They were Boss Hog. And they destroyed that county. Absolutely destroyed it. They were big enough, and I won't name them. Because they're big enough to reach here. Maybe but that was me. their headquarters. Maybe you can tell me off here. I will. But that was their headquarters. And they decided what business came to that county. Yeah. They ran off multiple businesses, big businesses that have been in the news lately that were moving there. But they didn't want to lose their workforce or pay them more. And I thought that was all BS when I first moved down there. I thought, these guys, you know, it's just talk, you know, small town talk, something to talk about. Nope. Sat in those commission meetings. I watched them people wimp out on every initiative that would make any kind of jobs better down there. I watched them commissioners do it and actually say it. Boss Hog lived there. So I got to see it firsthand, real life destruction of a county for a hundred years. And it's finally Locally. It, it's right there, yeah. Locally versus it was just that county. Yeah, but what I'm saying is that now on a on a larger scale, things have been playing out that I guess I'm more talking I I guess I'm trying to give an example of human nature well you were in that where where those people feel like they have control of this yeah well you you started out by saying that you felt guilty to some degree and then you worked your way to from the u.s government to locally i guess a question for you is that like the did you feel like you had some sort of responsibility to um i had no i had no ability to do anything there because those people in that county as much as they just liked it, yeah, accepted it. Sure. The ones that are left, the ones that are gone, didn't. Yeah. And the population is not going up there. <clears throat> mm-hmm. When they run out of people, these people feel like they own it. They just close up. Okay, well, we ran out of people. We're done. We got our money. 
and it won't hurt them. Yeah. They're good. I, I'm, I'm sure they're good. They're going to be fine if they close down tomorrow. And it's destroyed it. But nobody had the backbone to stand up and say, listen. And it, they didn't have to, it didn't have to be a thing where nobody would even come up and reason about it. You don't have to fight something like that. Reason with it. Hey, listen. There's this many people here. You know, you can keep your workforce. This is going to bring more. Yeah, but they'd rather cut the baby down the middle. Absolutely. They would. That's theirs. They think. That's theirs. And they don't care that they've watched it fall off to nothing. Yeah. I, I wouldn't have believed it if I hadn't seen it. I would not have. Because I, I really did think it was just talk. It was, it was a sad... It was part of the reason that when my business had, had been gone for long enough and I, I was clear out of money. Part-time sheriff's deputy doesn't pay nothing down there. Not enough to make the bills. And I didn't have enough business. I had to shut it down. Regulations had come in in the, in the local administration and in the, the current administration that was happening while my business failed down there. Uh, I was would have still had to keep somebody on a payroll for not making any money, and it was terrible. It was it was overwhelming. I finally closed it, legitly, and it was no problem leaving that county and coming back up here. I, it was. I miss some of those people down there, great people down there. There's some fantastic people down there. I met f wonderful volunteers, and, and the, the law enforcement community was great. The emergency management community was great. The, there were a lot of good people down there, and they're just being stomped on. And that's where they're from. They don't want to leave it. They can't fight it. The, 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 It's a tough place to be. Boss hogs are hard to get rid of. Guess they've been around since they've recorded time. Dukes of Hazard wouldn't be so popular if it wasn't for Boss Hog, I guess. You gotta be able to hate somebody. I, that's why I wanted out of government. I went down there and unplugged from all of the politics that politics were and the next thing I know I'm sitting in a commission meeting for the first time in my life yeah <clears throat> because I gotta speak because I decided to join the fire department yeah I'm thinking about going to my um, my city council meeting I don't know what it will do but <laughs> yeah before any of this started, I wanted to know when they changed the the zoning where I live. We've owned that house for 
I want to say 25 years. Yeah, my parents, Valley. Yeah, my parents bought that house while I was living down the road from it. That first house that I bought. Yeah. I went and looked at that house, and it was my wife's kin. It was like kin. They're related, but they had moved out of it. They were older, and they were wanting to sell that place. We went over and looked at it and had that detached garage much smaller than detached garage and I didn't have a garage where I was living I said man I'd like to have this place for the garage couldn't swing two houses that was when I was poor er and so I said well there's no way we can buy it unless we sell this one right at the right time and we wasn't planning on selling, so it would have been it would have been hard to swing. My dad had drove up there and looked at it. He says, "Would you be mad if we bought it?" I said, "Why would I? I don't understand why I would be mad." Well, we don't want to buy it out from underneath you. I said, "We can't buy it." Knock yourself out. Well, my my brother didn't have a house at the time, and. My dad bought it and said, that, well, it'd be his house if he, if he wanted to buy it. And he just helped him get into it. And I can't say my parents didn't help me either. So I, they didn't buy my house, but they helped me get into it with, I don't even think they loaned me any money on that one. But nevertheless, They've helped me over the years, so I, I can't say anything about them helping him get that place. And he lived there till the tornado come through in 03. And they watched it coming, and, and that place don't have a basement. They got a crawl space. And it went through and took the houses off the end of the street. And as a matter of fact, one of my neighbors that comes down visits me every day. It took his house, he was in it. And he, he, he was in a, he had a basement. He's still devastated by storms. He's sixty some years old. Man, it, you hear thunder booming, he's gone. He'd go back to the house. But my brother moved out. And my dad rented it, and the renters destroyed it. He's put every hard case in every rental house that he's ever had. And I'm against renting a house because of it. Always starts with a handshake, ends with the sheriff's department there. It's just they, it, always terrible people that he gets. They just destroy these houses. It was tore to pieces when I got, I was moving back up here. I looked at it and I said, it's got to be fixed before you can even rent it. It's in bad shape. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'll take over the house payments on it. While we live here, I'll fix it. And when we move out, it'll be ready to rent. And that's the deal we made when we got to, we got to stay in there around this neighborhood it wasn't nothing better you know it was just nice neighborhood we bought it from my parents and uh, then I built the shop I love it but they changed the year I moved in they changed the zoning from agricultural to like R50 and it's the least amount of regulations, but 
nobody there knew that. And it was about four years ago, I got a letter from the city. I had a truck parked out in front, went trailer on the back. And a letter from the city said, I can't have that. I said, okay, so I called the inspector and I had him come out and I met him. I said, what can I have between calling him and him getting there? I read what we were and when it changed, but I could not find a single person's name on who voted for that to be changed or how it was brought up in a city council meeting. How anything was changed from agricultural to R11 or R50. Not one name on it. Not not one roll call. The the date is mentioned. The notes of the meeting are mentioned, but the vote is not there. But I read all of it, and I was like, I can't live under these these restrictions. I didn't buy it for that. I thought it was agricultural, and and I thought I'm gonna have to move. The inspector was different than the letter, and it wasn't as big of a deal as I thought. We worked it out, everything's okay, but I still live under the thumb of that, and I thought about going to the city council meetings and start listening into these things, because if they're not going to actually take minutes of them, then you need to be there. If they vote to change a, a zoning, I thought the homeowners had to be contacted. None of them were. None of them were being contacted after. They didn't know until I got a ticket. I told all of my neighbors because they didn't know. Have you been into the courthouse downtown where they have the city hall meetings? I think it's on the 20, 21st floor. Or I don't remember. It's in a big, big building downtown. I don't like getting treated like a criminal to just go somewhere. I mean, it's like you got to empty your pockets and, get, and just don't take anything. And I, I just, I want to go to a city council meeting. I don't want to go to a court. <laughs> It was. It was just. I don't. I don't know. It's. I hate that part about the security aspect of it. Well, I just thought about it. I would keep love thinking it. about it every time I drive by it. It'll, it gives you an update of. Family. They're boring. <laughs> I bet. They're almost as boring as listening to me talk for two and a half hours. We should probably wrap things up. Yeah, I think but, so. Um. Thanks. For sharing. I, I didn't actually wait, wait, even you, realize you, you, it. Oh, no. It went away. There's a little cat right up in the window trying to say hi. Yeah. Oh, I, uh, never mind. I'll tell you later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I do run on. I'm, and I'm sorry. I, I kind of went all over the place there. <laughs> like I said, I come to talk. So... Uh, and we talked. So. Sure. Oh, you talked. <laughs> I talked, man. <laughs> yeah.
You should have known. Uh, well. There's no, uh. I don't know what time it is, but I. I couldn't believe what time it was when I just looked. Yeah. That's just why I don't ever get anything done. <laughs> it's hard for me to get things done, too. I, I've got two months off where I, uh. I'm not doing lawn care and I'm not hanging Christmas lights. You know, he does Christmas lights in the winter. Yeah, I think he said so. And we work, we work like crazy, man. Uh, 15 to, I think, along it. I mean, from 8 o'clock in the morning to 1 o'clock in the morning sometimes. But we have about two months, three months off. And those two months, three months off, this, this year, I went and got a membership at a rock climbing gym. They they gotta hate me there. They, they they just open back up because of things and <laughs> they, they probably needed that break because I'd go in there and I'd stay from six o'clock they open until five o'clock. Oh, just loving and, it and just yeah. yeah, climbing, talking to people, and just just hanging out. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to think of that little town we were going to the East Coast to visit my boy when he was in the military and. Uh, We'd stop and it was, uh, I think it was Chattanooga. They're downtown. They've got a rock climbing facility. Uh And it's pretty cool. The rock wall starts like on the second story. Yeah. And the floor comes out and then it goes out over the street, the downtown street. I think it's Chattanooga. And I always thought, if I was going to do it, it'd be that one. Yeah, you gotta I'm not come, a rock climber. you got to come climbing with me sometime. And I really, I really don't even like heights. But I would do it. Yeah. Because we're strapped on. There's about a 50, 50 foot wall in our gym. I'm a... The, invita- the invitation is open to you. I, I like, I like, uh. I like flying small airplanes. Yeah. It scares crap out of me. I love it. But there's very few things that scare me anymore because everything that scared me before I've ran into. You run into a fire because you don't want to burn to death. You go put the fire out. Did that. These things that scare me, I, I learned to run into. Heights is one of the things that has never gone away. I can, uh, I can function there now. Or I started going up in lifts, you know, and, and it got to where I could function as if I'm not 85 feet in the air in a little bitty basket. Good to go. Being out on the wall like that, that'll scare me again, and I like that. It reminds me I'm alive. We'll end it on that then. All right. Thanks for having me. Yeah.